0: We are working our way through some of the background of the Jewish Roman relationships as they pertain to what happens when Jerusalem ends up being destroyed in AD 70. I think that there is too much misunderstanding about. The situation in the lower Middle East uh, whenever the New Testament events were taking place. Uh, I think some of it comes just from the fictionalization that has occurred over the years uh, about the New Testament story, uh, where Judea, uh, the lands of the Jewish people, were kind of portrayed as being invaded and occupied uh, by the Roman military might, and that the people were horrendously treated uh, and taxed, and uh, they were constantly in fear uh, for their lives, and everything was dark and poor and dirty and unhealthy. And as I hope you've already figured out, that none of that is the way things looked in uh, the first century uh, period of the Lower Middle East. Uh, the Jewish people and the Roman people had been allies for going on 150 years by the time the Gospel story uh, takes place. And uh, Herod the Great's uh, dual citizenship, he was both uh, Jewish Uh, And he was Roman, and he had every intention of making his kingdom of the Jews one of the premier places in the Roman Empire. And since he was exceptionally wealthy uh, and friends with uh, the emperor and all of those in high uh, positions of authority in the Roman Empire, uh, he was able to accomplish that goal. So uh, things start looking a little dicey for the first time, uh, honestly, uh, in the story of Jesus when Pontius Pilate arrives in the land. You remember, he came in about 26, and the uh, first thing he wanted to do was um, go ahead and have his troopers take their military standards and their military uh, images that would have been uh, part of their awards on their uniforms with them when they went to Jerusalem for their tour of duty. Uh, it had been a long-standing um, practice of all the prefects that came before that uh, to not allow any troopers to take such things with them when they went into Judea proper out of Caesarea uh, on the coast well, you remember what happened. Uh, The people complained, the people demonstrated, and even though Pilate threatened, they maintained their ground, and so he blinked. And so crisis averted, uh, the respect for things Jewish inside the Jewish homelands uh, continued. And so Jesus, of course, has his ministry between 30 and 33. He He dies and rises again uh, in the spring of 33. His church is birthed uh, at the uh, end of the spring, the beginning of the summer of 33. Uh, And we can kind of summarize the Jewish attitudes of this thing that we're talking about, the Jewish-Roman relationship, in this manner. Uh, There were people going by the term Herodian alive at the time. And uh, those that were in Judea and Samaria and Idumea, which was governed by Roman prefects at this time, uh, these Herodians wanted and worked for a return to Herodian rule, specifically Hasmonean rule, uh, since a couple of the grandsons of um, Herod the Great were also grandsons of Miriamne, the Hasmonean princess. Uh, And uh, the Herodians were okay, I think, most of them, with the idea that the Herodian uh, family was tightly aligned uh, to Rome. Uh, They understood that taxes would therefore be indirectly paid to the Roman Empire through the Herod regime, uh, and they were fine with that. In fact, that's actually what was going on ever since the time of Herod the Great uh, up in Galilee and over in Perea uh, and in all the other Herodian areas to the north and east of the Sea of Galilee. Now, there were Roman soldiers present in those Herodian uh, areas, uh, but they were not in charge. They were there as... Guests of the Herodian governments. Uh, And more than likely, uh, their purpose for being there was to protect Roman assets, like the Roman road system and the water systems, the aqueduct and reservoir systems, as well as protecting uh, any Roman citizens, many of whom were Jewish, that happened to be living in those regions. Uh, You know, the centurion in Capernaum, on the north coast of Galilee. He was stationed inside Herodian uh, governmental region. Uh, Why was he there? Well, more than likely, he was what we would consider a Roman highway patrol commander, and uh, he and his unit were stationed at Capernaum, right there at the border between two Herodian areas, uh, the area of Galilee and then the area of the Golan. Now, that's the Herodians. Uh, The Zealots that we read about, that we hear about, uh, some of them identified with Pharisaic principles, and they probably were Herodians as well. However, a few, at least, of these zealots seem to have wanted complete independence from Rome during the time of Jesus. Uh, They wanted the Sanhedrin and the high priest to rule either alongside a king, maybe, or maybe ruling instead of a king, Uh, But they definitely didn't want any taxes going to Rome, direct or indirect. They wanted Jewish autonomy. Uh, Now, the Pharisees and the Herodians during the time of Jesus had conspired together to try to get rid of him. You remember that from reading in the Gospels. Uh, At Jerusalem, only days before Jesus went to the cross, uh, these two groups— tried to use the tax issue as a wedge between Jesus and his followers. And you remember that he very skillfully turned that tax uh, trap into a teaching that, uh, here, give me a coin, show me who's on the coin. Oh, it's Caesar. Well, then you need to give to Caesar the things that bear his image, and give to God the things that bear his image, which basically meant pay your taxes and give God yourself because you were made in his image and likeness. Fantastic response, but you'll notice that he never once talked about taxes being something you should stop doing. Um, Now, The reality is, and I know a lot of people probably find it frustrating to acknowledge this, the reality is the majority of Jews living in the time period of the gospel and the early church uh, seem to have been perfectly satisfied with the status quo of Judea and Samaria and Idumea being part of the larger Roman Empire, along with all the perks that came with that, uh, including legal protection of their Jewish religion and traditional activities, uh, and the fact that they could be overseen by the Jewish Sanhedrin and by a Jewish high priest. They were perfectly fine with that. Uh, Like pretty much everyone else, they didn't really particularly like paying taxes to anyone, let alone to Rome, uh, but they paid it anyway because they saw that it was necessary in order to live in a material world where roads had to be built and um, aqueducts had to be constructed and reservoirs as well and, and uh, security forces had to be paid and things like that. Now, here's the thing that I want to remind you of uh, as we move forward here. In the week before his crucifixion, Jesus gave his Olivet Discourse, his prophecy about the future, Uh, This is in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, Luke 21. And he prophesied that within the lifetime of his apostles, of his followers, that civil order between the Jews and Romans and between Jews and Jews was going to disintegrate and fall apart and that this would eventually result in the destruction of the Temple of Herod and of Jerusalem and would bring an end to the Jewish nation-state. All of that is prophesied in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, And so what we're going to focus on as we move into the next half of our buildup to uh, the destruction of Jerusalem is how Jesus was proved right in all of those predictions. Now, another thing that you know from the Gospel story is that the Sanhedrin and the high priest were very concerned about riots at Jerusalem, which might follow their public arrest of Jesus during Passover, uh, because that would then signal to the Romans who were in control of that Judean region, uh, that they couldn't keep the peace. And uh, whenever that happened in the history between uh, Roman leadership and Jewish leadership, the Jewish leadership would be changed out. And so they didn't like that idea. And so that's why they said, let's not arrest him until after the Passover is over, And uh, we don't want to risk a full-blown riot. Now, of course, it didn't happen that way. Uh, Circumstances actually had Jesus crucified during uh, the Passover time. Uh, No riot ensued. uh, And so uh, we get to move on uh, through uh, the rest of the history of of, uh, relationship between the Jews and the Romans. Uh, Now, you also know that... um, Pilate uh, simply would not rubber stamp the Sanhedrin's condemnation of Jesus. And uh, as soon as that became obvious to them, they tried to up the ante and accuse Jesus of all sorts of things which the Romans should be willing to execute him on, such as they accused Jesus of inciting people not to pay taxes, which was not true. Uh, And they tried to convince Pilate that Jesus was claiming to be, quote, King of the Jews, end quote, uh, which would therefore make him a usurper against the Roman Jewish status. And, uh, of course, Pilate, as you read through the Gospels, did not see any validity in that charge either. Uh, The only thing that finally forced Pilate's hand uh, was when they threatened uh, to report him to um, Tiberius as not being a friend by allowing a Jewish um, king to run loose on the landscape, and that seems to have uh, uh, cinched it for Pilate. Now, you might wonder how come that worked. Well, the best explanation is that Pilate had been appointed to his position back in 26 with the help of a man named Sejanus, who then turned out to be uh, a usurper against Tiberius uh, in uh, the latter part of 31, and a uh, cleaning of house followed uh, the execution of Sejanus, uh, anyone that he had touched Uh, during his administration uh, as uh, uh, Tiberius's assistant, uh, pretty much was removed from office, some of them executed. Pilate seems to have escaped that first purge, but he still had a little bit of the taint of Sejanus on him, and so that's probably why he, he caved to the demands of the Sanhedrin and the high priest. All right, so what we're going to do next is we're going to go through the 30s and the 40s and talk about the, the slowly deteriorating relationship between the Jewish and Roman peoples. So in 34, which is just the year after uh, the beginning of the church, um, we have Herod Philip die. Uh, He was the one that was in control of the Golan on the north of uh, the Sea of Galilee region. Uh, He's the very first son of Herod the Great to actually die in office. Uh, His tetrarchy, which was the name of his administration, um, it was placed under the administration of the legate of Syria, but its tributes, that is the money, the revenues coming into it, were kept in the region, awaiting later assignment, apparently to a different Herodian heir. So it wasn't that the Romans just took it over, they held it in uh, trust for another Herod. Um, In 35, uh, Tiberius sends a uh, new legate, to the land of Syria. And remember, Syria was the ultimate controller of the lower Middle East. Uh, In 36, uh, Herod Agrippa I, who was the older of two brothers, uh, who was the grandson of Herod the Great, uh, and also the direct descendant of the Hasmonean line through his grandmother, Princess Miriamne, um, this Herod Agrippa I had proved himself to be an absolute wastrel. Uh, he'd, uh, he'd grown up in Rome. He was uh, uh, pretty much a rich brat, a rich royal brat. And he ended up owing a whole bunch of money to people all over the empire. And by the time 36 rolled around, he'd kind of bounced around ahead Of the collection efforts for all of that money. Uh, He eventually landed back in Galilee, Perea, uh, where he mooched off his sister Herodias and her husband, who happened to be his uncle, Herod Antipas, you know, the Herod of the gospel story. Uh, And um, eventually, when he was pretty much told to get a job or get out, he decided he'd go back to Italy, uh, where he'd grown up in the royal palace of Augustus. Uh, And he made arrangements to go and visit Emperor Tiberius, who was on the island of Capri. But when Tiberius found out that he owed money all over the empire, he refused to see him until those debts were paid. And so what happens is Agrippa goes and attaches himself to the young man Caligula, who was hoping to soon become the emperor. All right, so this is where you can see that the uh, Jewish-Roman world is just so closely tied to one another. Uh, Now, in the fall of 36. Uh, the Tetrarch Antipas suffered a major military defeat at the hands of King Eratos of Arabia, who was his former father in law. You might remember. Antipas had divorced his wife, a princess of Arabia, so that he could marry the wife of his brother who had divorced her husband, Herodias. And uh, they were together, and John the Immerser had called them on the carpet about it, had told them that this was a sin and they needed to repent of it, and that eventually got him arrested and then beheaded. Uh, Well, a whole bunch of Jewish people who knew that story well felt like this military defeat in 36 was um, a—it was a— Defeat brought on by God to judge them for the death of the great prophet John. Uh, now, you should understand that our young uh, hero Saul, who becomes the apostle Paul, he happened to be in Damascus when this whole border dispute was going on, and he barely got out through the you know wall through a window in the wall in the middle of the night. Uh, during all this border dispute, so that kind of ties into more uh, Book of Acts stories for us. Well, Antipas was not going to stand for being beat up uh, by his non-Roman former father-in-law, so he appealed to Emperor Titus uh, Tiberius, excuse me, uh, for assistance in punishing this man uh, uh, Eratos for what he'd done more on that later. Uh, Around this same time, Pilate is um, still the governor of not just Judea and Idumea, which are mostly uh, Jewish people. He's also the governor of Samaria to the north, and uh, there's a Samaritan messianic figure uh, that starts causing trouble. It's actually a cult. And so Pilate goes in there and he puts down this cult with lethal force. Hold that thought, because there's a lot of things happening at the same time here. Um, back in Italy, around this same time, uh, Herod Agrippa I, uh, the guy that owes so much money, and Emperor Tiberius doesn't want to see him anymore. He's hanging out with his buddy Caligula, and he prays out loud to God about Caligula. He says, may God, if only God would take Tiberius now so that you could rule. And uh, Herod's chauffeur uh, passed that information along to Caligula, or, excuse me, to uh Uh, to Tiberius, who had Agrippa arrested and put in chains to await trial. And so that's where Agrippa is going to spend the next six months, in iron chains, uh, awaiting disposition of his case of waiting or praying for the death of the current emperor. Now, it's now the winter of 36 going into 37. Remember the Samaritans? They complained to the legate of Syria that Pilate had overreacted to the messianic cult in Samaria and had killed a lot of innocent people. So, Vitellus, the legate of Syria, appoints his friend and companion, Marcellus, to become the new prefect of Judea, Idumea, and Samaria, and he ordered. Pilate, you go to Rome and explain yourself to Tiberius. And so off Pilate goes, he's done. Uh, now, Vitellus then, right around the same time, receives... Um, excuse me, Tiberius has already received the request for military assistance uh, from Herod Antipas, so he sends a message to Syria saying, Vitellus, go punish Eratos. You can either bring him here alive to see me, or you can bring his head. Either one, whatever it takes. And that brings us then to 16 March of 37. That's the day that Tiberius died, and Caligula became the new emperor. But remember, communication takes a while between Italy and the Middle East. And so even though Tiberius is dead and Coligia is now ruling, they don't know that in the Middle East. So Legate Vitellus goes to Jerusalem to kind of do a follow-up to uh, Pilate leaving and his guy arriving to be the new prefect. While he was there, he canceled all sales tax on produce inside Judea. Now, that's a big financial bonus to everybody that's Jewish, isn't it? He also ordered that the high priestly uniform, uh, which had been kept in Roman custody up to this point uh, for a long time, uh, should be put back under full Jewish control. And then he swapped out high priest Joseph Caiaphas, from the gospel stories, for one of his brothers-in-law, Jonathan, uh, before he went back to Antioch. Uh, in Italy, in that same spring, once the mourning for the late emperor was finished, Caligula then had Agrippa I, his buddy, released from custody. He gifted him with a gold chain of equal weight to his iron one, and then he gave him the former tetrarchy of the late Herod Philip. Remember the place that had been kind of kept uh, in custody for a later uh, Herod. Um, Pilate arrived in Italy right around that time, and because Tiberius is dead, he doesn't have to give an account to him. Uh, We don't know whether or not he met with Caligula, but we do know he never got his job back because he doesn't return to the Middle East. Instead, Caligula sends Marullus to be the new prefect there. Now, we're running out of time, so don't lose the thread here. In the Middle East, Vitellus receives a letter from the late Tiberius. He doesn't know he's dead telling him to invade uh, Arabia, which he then does. He takes two legions and a whole bunch of uh, horsemen and starts down the coast. When he crosses into Judea, something significant happens that I want to talk to you next time we get together.